So now's the time. If you want to have a little look at your service sheet on the back, there is the Bible verse verses that we're going to read together. Uh, we're going to go back to Jonah. We've been in Jonah for a few weeks now, taking a few breaks. And we're back in Jonah chapter 3. I'm going to read the whole chapter together. This is God's word. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days in Nineveh should be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. This is the word of the Lord. This uh, series through the book of Jonah we've called Running from Mercy because it is built on the conviction that there is a power available for real and substantial change of life for anyone who finds themselves running away from God. There are many options out there, aren't there, for a changed life, whether it's a new diet or exercise regime, whether it's a philosophy or a pastime. But if you've ever tried any of those things, or know people who have, you'll know that none of these things on their own are able to produce the kind of life change that the Bible describes. But in the Christian faith, and one of the reasons we're gathering here every week is that real life change is not only possible, but it is expected. It is normal for every believer in Jesus. And so this sermon shows the way that we access this life change through what the Bible later describes as repentance repentance so we're going to think of this passage together under three headings first of all what is repentance going to try and understand the basics secondly what does it look like and thirdly how does it work what is it what does it look like and how does it work when we start this passage in genesis uh, sorry uh, where are we jonah jonah chapter three uh, we are back to square one if you remember from the early passage, uh, chapter 1, Jonah was called by God. He's a prophet of Israel, called to bring a message of mercy to the people of Nineveh in a, in a different country, in a different uh, city from where he lives. 
And yet he chose to disregard what God wanted. He, he went in the opposite direction. He went in the boat, tried to flee Israel, flee from God's uh, realm, if you like. And we saw a storm came up and Jonah eventually was thrown overboard, swallowed by a great fish. And he spent three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. And eventually, when he was there, he called out to God and was delivered. He was saved. He was given a new lease of life. And we saw last time, out of the fish, vomited Jonah, spewed him up, back on dry land, back to square one, back where it all began again. And so the words of chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, pretty much mirror the opening words of Jonah 1. And it says, uh, if you want to look through with me, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And this time, rather than running in the opposite direction, it said, Jonah arose. And he went and did, in verse 3, what he was told according to the word of the Lord. And he went to the city of Nineveh, which the Bible here describes as an exceedingly great city, or in the original Hebrew, a great city to God. We saw a couple of weeks ago uh, that the greatness of Nineveh wasn't necessarily a reference to its size, although it probably was quite a big city, but it was a reference to its significance in the eyes of God. It's a very special city. And if you remember back in chapter 1, verse 2, it was because their evil, their distress, their disaster had come up before God that he was interested and he wanted to show them mercy. They were doing evil things in Nineveh, but they were living in evil times. And God, who has a heart of mercy, wanted to bring them relief. And so Jonah, it says in verse 4, was uh, his first day into a three-day visit. And he was preaching this message. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. If you ever learn how to do preaching or teaching the Bible, one of the one of the ways they teach you to do it is to come up with a big idea or a summary of the entire sermon. And I think that's what we have here. Yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. He probably said other things. But that was the basic thrust of his message. And it was this. You people, trouble is coming. God is coming to visit your city. He is coming to bring with him turmoil and upheaval. And in 40 days, you will be overturned. But what happened next was utterly remarkable. I wonder if I tried this in Belfast or one of you came with me and we started saying this, 40 days and Belfast should be overthrown. If I went down the Royal Avenue and set up outside Castle Court and started preaching from my soapbox, most likely I would get jeered at, mocked, probably have things thrown at me. Uh, these days, probably more likely I'll get arrested for causing public trouble. But anyway, that is exactly what Jonah was doing, going through this, the city, preaching this message. And he probably expected a very frosty reception from Nineveh and resistance. But no one could have been more shocked than Jonah at what actually happened. It says in verse 5, the people of Nineveh did what? They believed God. And then they proclaimed a fast. And then they put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least. This huge response, this wave of grief and mourning. They listened to the message and they believed and they received it deeply. And there was this great outpouring of sorrow. Even the king was caught up 
in this wave of sorrow and sadness. What had happened? What was going on in Nineveh? Well, the passage itself doesn't use this term. Jesus does later on when he's talking about this passage. But the city here repented. What we see here in these opening verses is a massive turn of the entire people to God. So, what is repentance? Repentance is a whole-scale turn away from evil ways and towards God. Repentance is going from self-focus to God-focus. And in their situation, it was a realisation of the desperate times, their need for help. They understood that they could not save themselves from their current predicament, and so they turned to God. They were repenting. And repentance is an important concept in Christianity. In fact, you cannot be a Christian unless you learn to repent. And so it's crucial for us to take a few moments to understand and be really clear what it means to repent. First of all, let's understand and try and understand what repentance is not. What repentance is not. Repentance is not regret. Lots of people can experience regret. Regret we could understand to be a negative emotion, a sense that we wish it was different, that we wish that thing didn't happen to me back then. That's regret. Maybe we think of that in a, a past sin, a past situation, maybe a particular pattern in life. We can express regret over that. Sometimes regret is accompanied by a sense of sadness, a sense of grief, a sense of anger, at ourselves for, for doing something or other people for doing something to us. It's ex- a- accompanied by a sense of unhappiness about our lives and we don't like it the way it is. Maybe we're depressed or otherwise troubled in mind. All of these things on their own are not repentance. You might experience all of these things at some point in your life, but just because you have does not mean you've truly repented. And if you haven't truly repented, then you have no access to the kind of power for deep life change that the Bible holds out for us. It is possible to have all of these things in your life without a change in the direction of your heart. Because repentance is a profound alteration in the direction or the focus of your heart. You can have regret, but your heart may remain focused on yourself. Regret carries a concern about you above all other considerations. Let me give you a, a brief illustration of what, what I mean. I was involved in another church a number of years ago. Uh, dealing with, as as one of the leaders in that church, dealing with a clear pattern of destructive and manipulative behaviour among one of the members. It was a situation that was led to harm to the individual and their family and to the wider church family as well. And so as leaders, we had to do something. We had to confront this individual. And when we did, me and another leader, with this individual about the destructive pattern in their life, there was a massive outpouring of emotion that greeted us. There were tears. 
There are promises to change. Okay, we thought it's a positive start. And later, after that situation, uh, sorry, after that meeting finished, discussion with my fellow leaders, they came to the conclusion that this individual must have repented. Why? Because we saw him crying. But unfortunately, this proved to be the wrong assessment as time went on. He soon fell back into the same old patterns, growing more and more stubborn and more and more defiant in his rejection of God. Repentance is a change of heart based on the knowledge that we have offended God. Regret does not have that same inner poise. Repentance is that inner change where you acknowledge that on your own you are lost and you are powerless. You have come to the end of yourself. There is no confidence in yourself and so you have no other option but to turn to God for help. Regret is short term and it does not produce any power in your life to change. Repentance is long term and it is deeply life changing as we shall see in a few moments time. That is how you tell the difference between repentance and regret. I wonder if you call yourself a Christian here tonight, have you truly repented? Or do you just regret past sins with no obvious evidence of life change? So what is repentance? It is a whole scale turn away from our evil ways and towards God. And we see that happening in the city of Nineveh. But maybe just to get a bit more understanding of it, let's ask the next question. What does repentance look like? Because if we know how to recognize the signs, then maybe we can see and be encouraged in ourselves. So we've seen that repentance so far is not just sorrow for our sin, but if you really repent, it always has outward effects. It's not just the outward behaviors and, and, and make you change inwardly, but an inward change produces outward behaviors. Look down at verse 5 uh, for a bit of an example as to what, what I'm talking about. It says there that the people, when they believed God, they believed this message of, of, of wrath and, and God is not happy with the way you're living. It says they called for a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. And even in verse 6, as high up the social ladder as the king, it says the king took off his royal robes. He sat Sorry, he put on sackcloth instead, the most cheap, the most lowly clothing, just enough to cover you up to show the poverty of spirits. He stepped down from his throne. He sat down in the ashes. These are both uh, ways that the ancient Near Eastern people would have demonstrated grief. And the king's grief was that his city and his people and he himself had offended God and sinned against him and that now God's wrath was upon them. Some of you might look at the, the story uh, of, of this sort of sudden mass repentance of the city and think to yourself, come on, really? Really? Did this great city of all these thousands of people en masse just suddenly repent just like that? Was this not just the superstitious behavior of some sort of pagan backward people from many centuries ago? They didn't really understand what we understand today. 
They were just attempting to appease the gods by trying to fob him off with some religious activities. Well, as you can see in the text itself, we're not told the exact historic background. We don't even know what king it was in charge at the time. We don't know what year it was. Therefore, we can't really tell with any certainty what was going on in the nation of Assyria, which is where Nineveh was one of the main cities. Some scholars suggest that they were undergoing military threat from the outer parts of the kingdom, from other nations. Other scholars posture a natural disaster, an earthquake or flooding. All of these things were bad omens to the Assyrian religion, signifying some way or other that divine wrath was upon them, that the gods were angry. And so it seems to be most likely that these people realized they're in a bad state. They realized the gods or God were angry with them. And so they heard the message of this prophet from Israel. They were poised and ready. And he brought to them the answer to their troubles, suggesting why they repented so quickly and so easily. Anyway, we don't know for sure. But what we do know is that the king issued this, this legislation. He said to the people, all of you, mourn, cry out to God. And then he said this in verse 8, let everyone turn from their evil ways and the violence that is in his hands. In other words, repent, all of you. So what does repentance look like? It's right there in verse 8. And here we see two different Hebrew words being used. The first is translated here, evil ways, which refers to general immoral behavior or practices. The second word is translated violence in their hands, which carries the sense of frequent violence or injustice within the society. The king is essentially saying this, when you repent people, repent of your own personal evil actions and let's repent of our own evil systems, your personal sins and our corporate sins. We need to turn away from both of them. Whether individuals or us as a city, we must repent. You see, if you want to know what repentance looks like, we can see here that it reaches both realms when we truly repent. It produces within us personal holiness and a new ethic for living on the one hand, but if you truly repent, it also leads to the pursuit of social justice and, and the welfare of the city, on the other hand. You know, if you've truly repented, if you've truly turned in your heart to God, then someone might easily say of you, one day, you know, there's something different about her. You know, he's changed. They might say, those who know you, those who live with you, those who work with you, they might say, he, he, he's become a lot less short-tempered than he was a couple of years ago. She's become so much more generous with her money. He, he's a lot more patient with his, with his staff than he used to be. She's a lot less stressed. Just seems happier. You can see that inner heart change. A repentance has begun to produce this outer evidence. It affects your will, it affects your desire and your drives. When you repent, you'll want to be with God, you'll want to pray, you'll want to know more of his word in the Bible, you want to be among other repenting believers who push that word deeper into your heart and help you to live it out more truly. And this happens step by step for every believer. That's what it looks like. Can you see that in your own life, believer? 
Because that's what repentance can do. But, but it doesn't stop there. Repentance is personal. But also as we get a rough idea in verse 8, it also has social implications. You know, when John the Baptist, many centuries later, was, was baptizing people, preparing them for the coming of Jesus the Messiah, he, he, he uh, offered a baptism of repentance, it was called, and he preached this message. This was his big idea. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And so the people came to John the Baptist and said, okay, okay, we want to repent. What shall we do? In other words, they're asking the same question we are. What, what does this look like in my life? And so he responded, whoever has two tunics, two, two coats, share with the person who has none. Whoever has food, do likewise. He's saying, help the poor that are among you. Go to the lowly in your towns and your cities and serve them and give to them out of the abundance of what you have. The tax collectors came to John the Baptist, John the Baptist and said, what, what should we do? And he responded, collect no more than you're authorised to do. In other words, work honestly. Adopt business practices that are fair and just and equitable, honouring to other people rather than ripping them off. The soldiers came to John the Baptist. What, what should we do? What does repentance look like for us, they said. And he replied, don't extort money or threaten people or intimidate them. Just be content with what you have. For them... Repentance was a case of rejecting injustice, not allowing the poor to be oppressed by the strong. You can see the effects of repentance going out. It is personal holiness, but it is also having effect in social justice. It happens when you and I go out into the world, living your lives as uh, living a life of repentance influencing at various levels of society, whether you work within the legal system, whether you work in business or trade, whether you work within healthcare, within education, within government, within the charity sector, in all of these things, we get to push out as members of the church the implications of our repentance. We get to alter the fabric of our city and of our nation, as well as within the personal and private realms of family and church. So we've asked, what is repentance? And it is the turn of our hearts away from evil and towards God. What does it look like? As we've seen, it has personal effects and it also has social implications. And so thirdly and finally, let's ask ourselves, how does repentance work? Because otherwise, this just becomes a study in what happened in the city of Nineveh many hundreds of years ago. But how does it work for us? Look down at verse 10. It says, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. Sometimes people will read these sort of passages and think, Isn't God just an angry God? Isn't he just a vindictive God? who says wrathful things to people. But the whole point with these messages of, of wrath and judgment is so that those who hear get a chance to repent. Otherwise, 
God didn't have to say anything and still maintain his wrath. But he says these things so that they get an opportunity to turn back to him. And that's exactly why Jonah had this message for the people of Nineveh. Nineveh was an evil and an unjust city. It was violent. It was full of oppression. And God could have just left them to it to, to continue in towards oblivion. They deserved wrath. They deserved his righteous anger at their sinfulness. And they knew it. But instead, it says here in verse 10, they got mercy. God saw their changed hearts. And in the words of one commentator, it was enough for God to unleash his waiting grace and bind his waiting wrath. So how do you do it? How, how do we do it? How do we know that God has looked at us and shown us grace and mercy instead of wrath? How do you know if you've repented enough? How do you know you've gone deep enough into your sins and into your hearts? How do you know that you've grieved enough for your fallenness and your brokenness? How do you know you've repented enough for God to accept you? Or is it just a case of hope for the best? Do you just be like Nineveh in verse 9 and say, who knows? We'll do what we can. We just have to leave it down to God. He might turn and relent, but then again, he might not. For the Ninevites, it was a question. But for us, there is certainty. And this is good news. You see, the king of Nineveh, in these verses, led his people in humility. And he was an evil king. And yet he points forward to a greater king whose name is Jesus. You see, in the gospel, Jesus, the king, removed his royal robes and exchanged them for sackcloth. He arose from the, the throne in the heavenly splendor and came down and sat in the ashes with us. He left heaven as a king and he came down and sat with us as a humble servant. The Apostle Paul tries to grasp this amazing mystery. He says that Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. And being found in human form, listen, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, in the gospel, Jesus humbled himself to the lowest place possible so that you and I can receive mercy. His life for ours. So it's because of the gospel it's not just a case of us saying, who knows, maybe God will show mercy and favour on us. It's not just a case of repenting into the darkness and hoping for the best, but because of the gospel, it's a case that God saw what Jesus did and he relented from the disaster he said he would bring. It's because Jesus, this great king, came down to us and took our punishment on himself as our servant that we can repent in confidence. Because of Jesus coming to us, we can receive mercy instead of wrath. We can see, receive grace 
Instead of curse, we can receive love instead of rejection. And it is for you. When you repent, when you turn your heart away from yourself and towards Jesus as the King, that is yours. Folks, the answer is not to go deeper into yourself. The answer is to turn from yourself and go deeper into Jesus. Just before we finish, I just want to say this. Some of you, some of you need to repent of your repentance. You keep searching, keep looking inwardly, but all the while, you are still at the center of your heart. And I can promise you, you will not find salvation there. Repentance, as we have seen, happens when you realize there is nothing of any worth in your heart aside from Jesus Christ. And so you turn from your evil ways and you start living for Christ. You come to him and you receive the life of the Holy Spirit. See, when you understand this whole thing about repentance, it is so, it is so freeing. It's so releasing. And repentance, not just as a one-off thing you do, but as a life, as who you are. Repentance provides you with that power to live a life of holiness which is pleasing and glorifying to Jesus. And it gives you power to push out the implications of repentance into every sphere of our city and of our nation and beyond. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that because of your son, Jesus Christ, who came down from heaven to be among us to effectively sit in the ashes with us and who gave his life as a humble servant on the cross. I thank you that we can repent when we come to the end of ourselves, when we realize there is nothing in ourselves of our own accord that is going to save us. I thank you that we can repent in confidence and in hope. And so, Father, would you give us greater power to repent and to continue living a life of repentance, always turning, always coming back, always focusing ourselves afresh every day, every morning upon Jesus Christ, who is our Saviour. So Father, as we sing this next song, as we sing of your mercy, which is greater and deeper than the sea, would you help us to turn afresh our hearts back to Jesus and help us as a church to continue living as repenting believers in Jesus helping one another turn always refocus come back because Jesus is more lovely and he is more wonderful and he is more beautiful than anything that we can possibly cling to other than him for it's in his name we pray and for his glory amen